The following presentation is brought to you through the power of science. Shiny. Welcome to Generations Geek, a family-friendly celebration of geekdom by father-daughter war pig trainers. I'm science fiction writer Scott Pearson, and I'm joined, as always, by my daughter. Hello. And we are two generations of geek. This is episode 29, The Battle of Three Movies, and we'll be talking about The Battle of Five Armies while looking back at the other Hobbit films. For this discussion, we're welcoming back special guests Kevin Lauderdale, host of the Chronic Birth Network podcast, It Has Come to My Attention, and his daughter Elizabeth. This episode, we are once again Generations Geek Squared. If you ever wonder what we're up to between podcasts, we're generally just geeking out and stuff, but you can check in with us for details on Twitter or Facebook, or email us at thegeeks at generationsgeek.com. Also, drop by generationsgeek.com for handy links to all our podcasts. Now... On with the show. Kevin and Elizabeth, welcome to Generations Geek. Thanks for having us. Yeah. I should say welcome back. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> because we, of course, had you on to discuss the desolation of smog. First, a little disclaimer. I think we're all going to be discussing the theatrical versions here. I don't think we've seen any of the mm -mm. extended versions. No. Right. The first thing I want to do is step back a little bit and talk about the first two films very briefly. Could everyone try to give a letter grade to both of the first films? What did you guys think of Unexpected Journey? Elizabeth? I, I think I would give the first movie a B because it was okay, but it wasn't really anything special. It mostly followed the plot line of the book, but there was a bunch of added extra stuff that it didn't need. So. And what about you, Kevin? I agree. I'd also give it a B. It was interesting visually, but all three films suffer from heavy padding. And what about you, Ella? I actually, like, really agree, like, in the B area. I think it has a little bit of wiggle room, maybe B, B minus, B plus, but definitely around there. wasn't an A. I would give it a B minus, and the minus is chiefly because of the length of the goblin chase scene. Oh, <laughs> Okay, then what about The Desolation of Smog? I might give that one a B plus because I really enjoyed the scene between Bilbo and Smog. Or Smog, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all on the same track here. I'd give that, I'd also give it a B plus, maybe inching into the A minus because I, I also really like the Smog sequences. Also, I, th I love the barrel chase. <laughs> For something that takes up just a few paragraphs in the book, but that was great. I love that. Just as an exciting film, uh, I think it's it's definitely superior to the first one. Uh, not hugely, but this is interesting, too, because it's the second film. Usually the second act is where things get weak. Interesting. And what about you, Ella? Definitely. If, um, if Unexpected Journey was a B, then Desolation is a B plus. I agree that Desolation uh, deserves a higher grade than uh, the first one. I'm still really on the fence about where to put that, though. Since I gave B minus to the first one, then I should have to then I should give a B to the second one. But there's part of me that's like, ah, do I want to give it a B or or give it a B minus? And then do I want to retroactively bump the first one down to a C plus? <laughs> I don't know, but I think that's close enough for us to all have sort of an 
a feeling for where we are on those first two films. And with that in mind, what letter grade would you give to The Battle of Five Armies? I think I would definitely give it a C, maybe a C minus, because for me it just felt like... Oh, C minus! Yeah, because for me it just felt like the entire movie was pretty much one long fight scene, mm-hmm. like with little breaks of dialogue in between. And Kevin, what about you? I'll, I was going to give it a C plus. Um, I clocked the fight sequence, the actual oh. battle. It was 42 minutes oh. long. This movie is 144 minutes. Oh. So if you cut that out and you cut the credits and you cut a few other things, it's a 90-minute movie. And I saw that the extended version is going to be a full 30 minutes longer. Oh, no. What sort of a letter grade would you give it, Ella? I was thinking about this before we started recording, and it's like I have a hard time giving it a grade because Mm -hmm. there were parts in it that were really good, but then the parts that weren't good just were so much worse than the parts that actually were good that I don't know how to like even it out. But uh, yeah, definitely at least a C, maybe less. For me, at best, a C minus, but I could even drop it down to the the D. Yeah. So those are our quick impressions, but now let's discuss some specifics, shall we? Let's start with the opening scene, the death of smog. What'd you guys think? I thought it was kind of weird because you had the whole thing about smog in the last film, and then at the beginning of this one, it's just like, oh, and he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was very rushed. Uh, I understand why he didn't want to put it at the end of the second film because it would have felt like everything was over so much. He wanted that cliffhanger. But then it seemed like he just got it out of the way before the credit sequence just to get at the other stuff. Well, and it's also like he took um, what could have been a really moving scene, like the the actors and the dialogue in that scene didn't really need changing. It was just the fact, like, where it was placed. And I have a couple other nitpicky problems, but it's it's where it was placed. Yeah, I wish I'd timed that, too. I, it felt like it was about three minutes, and then he's dead. It's like, yes. that's what for a year for? Okay, in Return of the Jedi... You don't open with Han Solo being thawed from the carbamite. There's a whole <laughs> long series of events prior to that. I read someplace that that opening scene was actually more like 15 minutes, but if you had asked me right in the theater, I would have said five minutes at yeah. most. For me, that really set a, a bad tone for the rest of the film. I was so disappointed by how quickly the death of Smog went by. I was out of sorts right away. <laughs> that sort of perhaps interfered a little bit with me uh, watching the rest of the movie with an open mind. I don't know. But, um, Ella, you said you had some other nitpicks. What it, was there something else you wanted um, to mention about the sequence? When Smog dies, he's, like, flapping around and, like, flaps back up in the air and then stops moving. And the, he's kind of glowing mm-hmm. whenever you see him. And he flaps up and it cuts to this shot looking down at Smog and all of the lights on his face go out and then he just falls, boom, into Lake Town. And I was just like... <laughs> Well, I didn't, I was like, is this real? What's like, this looks like a cartoon. And ironically, though not as emotionally satisfying as the actual cartoon version. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and, well, it was also damaged by inserting the joke shot oh, yeah, that's what of I was gonna the say, of him mayor's uh, boat. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Even though uh, Smog is the bad guy, you're waiting for the, the drama of his death, and it got cheapened by the alleged joke yeah. <laughs> with the mayor. Didn't they do something similar with the trolls? When the trolls were killed in the first movie by Sunlight, wasn't... There, there's some really stupid joke involving the trolls. I'm trying. I'm trying to remember. It shows you what an impact. That's because I had on. there are too many stupid were, jokes about the trolls. <laughs> That's what yeah. I can't remember. Peter Jackson has a uh, lowbrow sense of humor, which I really enjoy when I watch his early uh, over-the-top uh, horror movies. But OG when he, Peter Jackson, when he sticks it into uh, the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, those jokes really fall flat. It's like he doesn't trust the the pathos or the, the drama of the situation. He's like. Mm-hmm. Maybe I better goose this just a little bit. Or maybe he's pandering to, the, to what he thinks are the kids. I, I don't know. I'm kind of at a loss at, at this one. At, and by this one, I mean The Hobbit in its entirety. Uh, the Lord of the Rings, overall, I, I love all of those movies. And there are scenes here and there in them that I find just as disappointing as some of the scenes in The Hobbit movies. But the disappointing scenes in The Hobbit movies are just all over the place compared to the occasional speed bump in the uh, Lord of the Rings adaptations. Well, and a lot of the damage really comes from how much time they had. Like, they had three movies, and Tolkien movies are long. And so when you have that much space to, like, move around in, I feel like Peter is more inclined to just kind of shove stuff in. Well, you know, this is something I didn't have on my notes, but something that we should discuss. The... The idea of expanding the films with elements that were hinted at outside of the book, I wasn't inherently against the concept, but the execution for me really didn't work. It really did come across as padding instead of uh, really fleshing out the story. Uh, What did you guys think about these uh, elements that he added? Uh, Like, well, actually the next scene I wanted to discuss after the death of Smog was the Battle of Dol Guldur, which is something that is canon, if you'll excuse the uh, use of the word, the loaded geek word, uh, that is uh, mentioned in other works of Tolkien, that that the White Council confronted the necromancer and drove him from, uh, from the woods there, but it wasn't done on screen, so to speak, in the original book. Uh, I think that, Elizabeth, uh, you already were saying something about that you thought that there was too much added that didn't work. Did you want to talk a little bit more about that? For that scene in particular, I just felt that was completely unnecessary. I felt the whole necromancer thing in the other two films was also unnecessary. Because that's like a couple of lines in The Hobbit. And I think maybe the entire thing got like, I don't know, it got a lot of time in the film. When in the in the book, it's really not important. It kind of reminds me of the death of Smog in a way that, in the desolation of Smog, you're building and building and building for that entire movie toward the death of Smog, and concurrently, they're also building the uh, suspense toward the confrontation in uh, Dol Guldur. But then, when you get to the third movie, the climactic movie, uh, the death of Smog rushes by. And then the Battle of Dol Guldur also is a very short sequence and just rushes by and didn't have a real payoff for the amount of buildup it got during the second film. Uh, Kevin, what did you think about that? 
Yeah, I'm, well, this is the Mutual Admiration Society. I think we all agree. <laughs> it's, 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 it, as an artistic project, this really hasn't worked because he's felt he needed to lard so many other elements in, you know, fanboy geeking out. This, this is mentioned here. This is mentioned here. Let's, let's connect everything and drag everything the poor old Oxford Don ever wrote into this. <laughs> and it's just, it hasn't worked. It's, yes, it's, it's not even even. You're, you're quite right there, Scott. Some things are padded, and other things, which, which should be stretched out, are, are rushed right by. I mean, other stuff. Oh. <laughs> you said something once uh, in a post that Peter was trying too hard to make the prequel to his Lord of the Rings movies instead yeah. of adapting The Hobbit, the book. And I think that really hits the nail on the head for me, is that he's trying so hard to link these movies together that what the original novel really was got lost. Uh, although there were inherent problems in trying to do a Hobbit movie after doing the Lord of the Rings movies, because if you had tried to do it like a straight adaptation, it would have seemed like it was a, in a different world, <laughs> because the dwarves are, you know, silly goofballs in the uh, book, and if you portray them that way on screen now, after seeing uh, the way they were portrayed in Lord of the Rings, I think it would have been really awkward. So he, he had to series it up a little bit, but it, it just created a tone that's so all over the place because every once in a while there are these iconic scenes where you need the dwarves to do silly things. And since they're so serious otherwise, when he has them do some of those silly things, it doesn't seem to, to fit anymore. Going back and revisiting anything is, is dangerous. I mean, look, look at, again, Star Wars. The, the original trilogy is a more or less empty universe. When you go back to the prequels, suddenly everything is everywhere. Why are there 20 times more stormtroopers <laughs> 30 years ago? What happened to all the stormtroopers? You know, um, do we agree that this would have worked better as a two-movie project, just, just with you know, just sticking to the story? Do you think people would have comp complained? Hey, there's not nearly enough. Would people have not recognized this as the same universe at all? It's like, what do you mean, Lord of the Rings? This, 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 these aren't hobbits. What are you talking about? I was actually talking to my friend uh, Logan about this yesterday, and he said he used as examples um he said harry potter last book two movies the hunger games last book two movies and i think he had one more example but the point remains that when a book is important like the last books in those series making it into two movies is really effective but splitting a book into three movies especially a book like the hobbit where it's i mean it doesn't have that much material right like the deathly hollows is huge compared to the hobbit yeah. And so there's just not enough to fill up all that space. And that's why we have all those awkward scenery shots and an unexpected journey. And that's why we have just like, we have space to wallow around in. And that's why he added in the uh, backstory elements that I just, I don't think they, they, they came across as padding to, to create the movies. Or at least, you know, in the first two films, some of that material didn't seem as blatantly padded to me as it did in the third film. In the third film, where you really are looking for mm -hmm. the payoff, 
so much of it just seems stretched out. Like you had mentioned, the length of the actual Battle of Five Armies takes up a substantial portion of the screen time, and it really gets blown out of proportion to what it represents in the original novel. Uh, Because you could argue in the original novel that it's the death of smog that's really the climax of the story, and then you have this prolonged uh, side effect that comes afterward. Oh, and, and one thing I forgot to mention when we, were, when we were discussing the death of smog is, and this relates to a bigger issue about the use of Bilbo in this entire series. In the novel, there's the thrush that Bilbo tells smog's weakness to. And then that is given to Bard that allows him to kill smog. And that is absent from these films. And so it eliminates Bilbo's agency in in his own story. <laughs> He's not as active a participant in his own story. Uh, the dwarves are more active on their own, and Bard is more active on their own, and Bilbo just seems to pop up occasionally to say something cute or funny or, uh, yeah. or sensitive. And uh, Martin Freeman was perfect at those scenes, but it seemed like Bilbo... Just had an extended cameo. <laughs> this doesn't really become Bilbo's story yeah. anymore. Although, this is interesting. Um, what did, oh, on Facebook, David Gerald, the science fiction writer, said, the way to look at this is this is Bilbo's reminiscences. So maybe he's exaggerating here and dropping down a bit there. He said it seems to make a little more sense if you view it as his old war stories that he might be telling his friends at the pub. Uh, that's, that's interesting, but I think he would have, a, again, a bigger role. And yeah. I did this, yeah. and I did that. Although he does get the Arkenstone. He does get the whole Arkenstone, mm-hmm. stealing the Arkenstone. That's a big sequence. Yeah, well, then, and, and that was the next thing I was going to, the next sequence I wanted to discuss was Thorin and Bilbo and the Arkenstone. This is a very important thing in the... Uh, original novel and it was a big theme that stretched throughout this film uh how did you guys feel about that aspect of the story the story between bilbo and thorin and the arkenstone okay the acorn though (laughs) the acorn the acorn do you remember that scene um I can't remember the. I mean, Thorin, I, it's cut like Bilbo's holding the Arkenstone, but yeah. then Thorin thinks he's holding the Arkenstone. I oh think, yeah. But then he comes around and he's like, "I got an acorn. I'm gonna plant it at home." And Thorin's like, "Aw, <laughs> go home and tend to your garden, little Hobbit." <laughs> Except for it's a lot more moving than my summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kind of worked uh, worked nicely. Uh, Kevin and Elizabeth, how did you feel about? Uh, how the story between Thorne and Bilbo played out. I thought they were just sort of forcing more emotional resonance into it. It's like, I, I, don't, I don't care. I don't care about the Arkenstone. <laughs> I, I really don't. And I could see Peter Jackson sort of pulling the strings, trying to make me care more, and it just didn't work. Or that scene where and, Thorne's uh, like wallowing around in the gold... Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> like, 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 for screw, like five screw. minutes <laughs> what oh, the, even where's, where's, was this where the, the, the gold fever sequence was where he's, yes. he's yeah. hallucinations yeah, that was really weird 
I, I was kind of confused on it, but I was like, what's going on here? Well, also, it just went on and on. Like, I was sitting there like, okay, now it's going to cut now. And then I was like, oh, no, it's, oh, oh. Like, I was sitting there just having this commentary in my head, like, oh, it's still happening. Yeah, well, and it's unfortunate because the relationship between Bilbo and Thorne is one of the more dramatic and emotional elements of the original novel. And Peter Jackson did give a lot of attention to the interaction between the two of them. But then at the end here, it got kind of heavy-handed because he milked those scenes. And I think a lot of people had your same reaction, Elizabeth, that they were just like, what, what, what is this? <laughs> what, what is happening? It worked really well at the end of the first movie where Bilbo was like, I got it. You lost your home. I understand what that means. I'm going to help you get back your home. Mm-hmm. And, and they hug. <laughs> hug it out. Oh, Bring yeah. it in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's his name that played Thorn? What's his name? Richard Armitage. Richard Armitage. He's a fabulous actor. If you had given him a smaller, more personal kind of scene there to try to show the conflict that Thorn is going through, it could have been so much more effective than turning into this big visual extravaganza with hallucinations and all that sort of stuff. On the concept of the dream sequence, The Hobbit is written pretty much entirely from Bilbo's point of view. Right. Right? Okay. So it's, it's kind of weird that the movie has, like, all these different scenes, and then Bilbo isn't in, like, half the scenes. So you, you would not have the whole weird dream sequence thing. From the point of view of making an adaptation to film from the book, I can understand stepping back a little bit from having it entirely be in Bilbo's point of view so that you can have these scenes where he's not there, but there's too much time that goes by where Bilbo isn't on the screen. Yeah. It loses some of the the heart of the story. Well, we're approaching the Battle of Five Armies itself, the sequence, not the name of the movie. (laughs) Should we start by counting armies? Yeah. That was the first thing I wanted to do, is in the book, it's clear that the armies are, one, you got the dwarves, which means Thorn and Co., (laughs) and the dwarves from the Iron Hills. So that's one army. You got the men of Lake Town, that's two armies. You got the elves of Mirkwood, that's three armies. And you got the eagles, when they show up at the Mm -hmm. end, those are counted, that's the fourth army. And then the fifth army is all the bad guys, the goblins, the wargs, and the bats. And yes, there were bats mm-hmm. in the original novel. There were bats were in the bats. book? But. Oh, that at all. But here's. But people didn't he, use them as forms of transport. Here's a key description. <laughs> here's a quote from the original novel. The great bats swirled about the heads and ears of elves and men or fastened vampire-like on the stricken. When I read that... They sound like maybe they were bigger than average bats. <laughs> like, no, like relatively normal. But they weren't escapees from Skull Island, <laughs> Peter Jackson's adaptation of King Kong. I mean, they looked like they almost used the same CGI files that they used for some of the monsters in uh, King Kong. That doesn't actually bother me that much because he did the same thing in The Lord of the Rings when he turned the uh, Oliphants into... Giant things instead. But that wasn't as awkward, though. And well, I think what made this awkward was the 
scene of Legolas dangling from the one. Oh my god! And then and then and then he shoots it and kills it, and then later he's one arrow short. It's yeah. like, why did you waste that one arrow? Yeah, I can't even do it. This is the problem. But uh, <laughs> before we get deeper into the the big battle sequence. Right at the beginning of the sequence, I wrote on my notes, Wereworms, why did it have to be werewerms? <laughs> now again, oh werewerms were mentioned in the original novel, but it was a little throwaway reference during an unexpected party. In the first chapter, Bilbo says to Thorin, Tell me what you want done, and I will try it if I have to walk from here to the east of east and fight the wild wereworms in the last desert. Wow. So, in context, that doesn't, you know, that's Bilbo kind of bragging what he will do. It doesn't even sound like it's real. It sounds like it's the Middle Earth equivalent of the boogeyman. Well, like how we would say dragon, too. Like, I'll punch a dragon. I don't care. Like, that's how he's saying it. And so, there's there's no reason to believe that Tolkien intended the, uh, Wereworms to be the uh, the worms of Arrakis. <laughs> Dune. <laughs> Dune reference there. Uh, you yep. haven't seen Dune. And so, again, that's just Peter's th- thing, is that he'll take some little reference like that and literally take a little reference and make it a giant reference by making the thing 5,000 times larger than you would expect that it would need to be. Now, Bilbo's mother is mentioned, too. She doesn't come back to life as a zombie <laughs> or a ghost to help fight. Look, it's the army of the undead Tooks. They've come back to us. How will you kill them? But for me, the problem with the wereworms, if Azog has at his command giant wereworms, there doesn't need to be a battle at all because it's just... Mm. <laughs> yeah, because they, they didn't actually fight with them. They only use them to dig tunnels yeah. as a shortcut for the other army. But it's like, oh. no, if you had those giant guys with their giant mouths that could dig tunnels, you could just have them come up Everything under the dwarves and swallow them, and that's the end of the story. So it, would, it, it, it was just a ridiculous thing to introduce, I thought. But now that I've had my little wereworm rant. <laughs> Maybe the wereworms are allergic to gold. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys want to... only wanna... come so close and no close. <laughs> that could actually work. That's not a bad idea. You think yeah, it... Oh, yeah, like uh, werewolves. They, they don't yeah, like silver. silver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, the werewolves are like gold. Oh. That could have been solved. Right. Scott, between the two of you, that could have been solved in two lines yeah. of dialogue. Why don't we just bring them up from underneath them? They can only they go so close to the, the lines gold. of Moria. <laughs> like, it's a pity they can't go closer to the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, Kevin and Elizabeth, yeah. did you guys want to try to count the number of armies in the movie? Let's go back and forth. The first? One. The dwarves. Okay, and so from the Iron Hills and Thorn. Okay, so two, the elves. Three, all the humans. Okay. Four, there are eventually eagles. Yeah. Um, five, there are the orcs. The orcs. And if you... And it's like, do the goblins count too? Were the goblins there? I think there were goblins. Okay. Yeah, well... I saw some. What okay. kind of confuses the issue as far as the army count in the film versus the army count in the book is that in the book, they are clearly being chased by the goblins from when they killed the Goblin King. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the, the anime scene, you can see that they're riding on wargs and they're coming out. And it's yeah. Like, oh, which, which, sorry to interrupt. That... that 
the one thing that was I really hope they were going to do that they didn't do, my favorite bit in the Rankin-Bass animated one, <laughs> is when the bad guys show up, suddenly the elf king is like, oh, my great brother, Dwarf King, we must squirrel yeah. fight together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, dwarves and elves have always been like brothers. Or it pops up, all of my men, all of my armaments are at your disposal, my friends. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, so plus wards, plus Bayorn. Bayorn gets like three seconds. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, in the movies, they're being chased by Azog, and so it kind of muddles the uh, after effects of killing the Goblin King. And then, in addition to Azog and the people he's got at his command, they get the reinforcements that come through the wereworm tunnels, and I think those are supposed to be uh, goblins or orcs from uh, Dol Guldor. Yeah, my friend and I had a discussion about that. Like, are so, there two armies of orcs? Is that two? Or yeah. are they one, and the eagles is the army? And so even though the name of the film <laughs> is the Battle of Five Armies, it gets a little confused about how many armies they are and what they are in the movie. And one thing that I liked that they did in the animated version, and I think it's probably a scene in the original version as well, is that they have Bilbo actually counting the armies. Mm -hmm. He reacts. Yeah. Like when another like force shows up, he's like, oh my gosh, now it's four armies. Now it's five armies. I, I think they could have used that here. Armies, it's a battle yeah. of five armies. Yeah, he says, a battle of five armies? <laughs> Wow! This that This blows my mind. Who's gonna fight who? Plus bats. You're gonna count the giant bats. We're up to like seven or eight armies. <laughs> also, though, really, there's only two sides. Yeah. So, what did everyone think of the actual execution of the prolonged sequence of the Battle of Five Armies? Then, who wants to start? Let us start. Okay. I just remember being feeling completely insane during uh, this movie. But um, the part where it seems kind of nebulous as to whether or not the elves are going to fight. Mm -hmm. um, and so we just see the dwarves kind of hunkering down, but then all of a sudden the elves come up and leap over them. Okay. <laughs> that was cool. It was perfect because it was like immediately like, look how well they worked, like opposites working together. Mm -hmm. And it was just, I really like that shot where they're like jumping on them. That was like a good stepping shot. on there. It's just, yeah. it, was, it was good. Like, hey, you're really short and we're really tall. Together we'll be able to <laughs> kill all the enemies, whatever height they are. It was so perfect. Standing on the shoulders of dwarves. <laughs> um, I have battle fatigue, and I've had battle fatigue ever since the first movie. The, the scenes of fighting just go on and on and yeah. on. And I know it's called the Battle of the Five Armies, so you want a battle scene. But for half a movie, a 42-minute long battle scene, it's, that's half a 90-minute movie in itself. Just wears me out, and I did like that it would, they would cut back and forth. We saw um, Gandalf doing his thing over there, and we saw the Hobbit sneaking around a little bit. But I just—it seems to me battle sequences now that we can do anything with special effects just get longer. It's an excuse to make things longer and longer. And for anybody who saw Man of Steel, uh, that uh. battle scene was half the second was the second half of the movie, and that went on forever. The Battle of Five Armies sequence had none of the same uh, dramatic impact that the battle scenes in Lord of the Rings had. That's what um, I was going to say. Like, how long was the, the Battle of, of Helm's Deep? Deep was a pretty yeah. long sequence, but that was there, there was so much drama there. It was built mm, up. It's yeah. at night. It's the rain. There's all sorts of or things like going on. like the Ents trashing Isengard. And, <laughs> yeah, all those scenes seem to work so much better. And 
this uh, Battle of Five Armies, just it was just a bunch of CGI going around, and you could hardly even tell the difference between the dwarves and the uh, and the goblins or orcs because they were wearing armor as well. So it was just all these like armored things. Uh, Look at all the cool stuff we can do with our technology. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't Legolas do something that Bugs Bunny had done? <laughs> Isn't he running like that, along a bridge or something, and the the planks of the bridge oh, are falling? Oh my god! Out yes, the, yeah. In my notes, I wrote down Legolas and the magic stairs. Yeah. Okay. Here's what that scene should have been. We can talk that about that. That scene should have been him stepping on one brick that was basically falling, and then him stepping on another one that fell out from under him as he pushed on it. Mm-hmm. And then he would have been there. There would have been like that moment of like, holy. Yep. But he, it wouldn't have been like him running up a staircase of falling bricks. But like, it, uh, again, that's pushing the elven magic yeah. too far. It, like, snow, yes. Just things falling, no. It does push it into the realm of Looney Tunes. Since we're speaking of Legolas, let's talk about the elves. What's the deal between Legolas and Toriel? Is Legolas, like, sort of a creeper? Are <laughs> they? Is he like? Are they siblings? Are they friends? Are is is Legolas got an unrequited crush for Toriel? What's going on there? Thranduil's like, don't give him hope where there is none. Thranduil low key threatened her yeah. to not lead him on, and Toriel was like, oh man, I, okay. <laughs> then it ends up kind of tying into the whole Toriel and what's his name, Killy. Killy, yep. This. Almost, She's like, he gave me a rock. There's almost this love triangle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or where she turns, what is someone, somebody says something and she she does this soap opera turn like, I can't. Guys, what's happening? Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. God. I can't remember the exact context, but I can remember horrible. thinking. Everything's too melodramatic. Why didn't Evangeline like, yeah, Lilly say, like oh, lost. no. She knows better <laughs> than to be in a bad soap opera. The problem is, is that there was supposed to be this love triangle thing. Well, didn't didn't Legolas say since, I love her? But then, since the actual relationship between Legolas and Tariel was so muddy, <laughs> I don't know how how to fit it all together. It's it's like they, it's like everyone in Merkwood knew they had had like a will they won't they thing yeah. before the movie started, and but they already got like past that point, and the thread was just like stop. <laughs> but we don't know. This ties back into the uh, making it a sequel to his films kind of thing, putting Legolas in there. Um, I have no problem with putting Legolas in, since it is canon that Legolas is Thranduil's son. So sort of retroactively putting him into the the movie, I had no problem with that. But then the execution of it, it just well, seems kind of Well, and also with him forced. like glaring at Keeley the whole time. If you cut all those scenes out, you hardly even miss them. Have either of you, have any of you watched a little bit of this uh, fan edit of uh, the films that's going around? I, I haven't, but what I was going to say is that there's no, there's no love story at all in the book, The Hobbit. Yeah. So and we try to shoehorn something as big as that, as big as a B-plot, not even a C-plot. We try to shoehorn a B-plot in there, you're not going to get anywhere. No, I, I've not seen the... Uh... There's a fan edit going around the interwebs where the guy basically tries to cut out everything that's not in the books. <laughs> And and shorten up everything. I didn't watch the entire thing, but it was really interesting to see what an entertaining, brisk 
story it was when it was pared down more to the original storyline. And I'm really excited to see that cut, but didn't he cut Toriel completely out? I think he did, and I think adding a female character was the right thing to do, and Evangeline Lilly is great casting, and I've got... But they fumbled. Well, whenever... It's well. It's it's the romance thing. When when you add the romance, then I think that you run the risk of diminishing the female character because she becomes. It like, seems like she's just there for. She's there to, to be, be the, the romance. romance. Yep. And well, and here's what I'm furious about: is Keeley didn't die for Thor, and he died for her. Yeah, which is like a massive change to make on that character, and it wasn't cool of. That Peter, really, whoever made uh, that yeah. decision, was like really... Because it was disappointing, but that's where it got too far. <laughs> I think I would like the movie much more if Toriel had been there and just been like not interested in any romance at all. Because she, like, she wasn't really that interested in Legolas. But I think it would have been much better. She's just like, I'm here. I- I'm just gonna forks <laughs> yeah. and stuff. You know, you could have just left out Legolas and had just Toriel. So then that character would have gotten much more screen time as just being this very strong character that's out there taking care of business with the orcs and goblins and not have it all muddled up with all this other stuff. You even could have had Keely being like, oh, like you're pretty and doing that awkward flirty thing he mm-hmm. did in the dungeons without <laughs> without it, Toriel. And she just shuts him down. Yeah. Never. Like when she responds to him, he's like, I could have anything down my trousers, and she's like, or nothing, and just shuts the door and leaves, and that should have been her attitude the entire movie. It's just like, <laughs> or nothing. So you were incensed by the death of Keeley. What about the uh, I am mad. what about the death of Feely, executed by Azog in front of uh, Thorn? How Better you feel about than that? Keeley, but not as good as them dying for their uncle. In well, he he, he died I, for him, but in essence, but yeah. But in, it was more. It was. Yeah. I just found it, it's like, because he's just, Azog is so big, and mm-hmm. Feely's a dwarf, so he's just hanging there off of Azog, unable to do anything but, like, yell, and then he's just dead. And so yeah. it wasn't very, like, it wasn't honorable, it wasn't, like... Well, it becomes, it's used as a way to further enrage Thorin, and want, yeah. and for Thorin to want to seek his revenge on Azog, yeah. but then it diminishes what uh, Feely accomplishes, because yeah. he just gets captured and executed, yeah. instead of dying heroically in uh, battle. How did the two of you feel about the uh, deaths of uh, Feely and Keely? I think that Feely's death, like, it didn't mean very much into the film. It was just like, oh yeah, he's dead now. We're gonna fight some more. And I think Keely's death was, uh, I don't know how to put it. Mel- melodramatic? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it was just like overemphasized in it. You thought it had too much uh, importance for just for yeah. what, or what little it was. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It, in the book, it's just like, and Feely and Keely were, were died. Yeah, it's one <laughs> sentence. It's like, Feely and Keely <clears throat> fell defending their uncle. Yeah. I had a hard time getting emotionally involved, invested in anybody's death, really. Death seemed to happen so frequently. I mean, people <laughs> blasting through orcs left and right. And I know we're supposed to be relating to the, the dwarves more. It's like, I just don't care. I'm going to be honest, I kind of wanted Billy Connolly to die. Like, his character, I was like, (laughs) you are not Dane Ironfoot, and I need you to, like, just get... You guys just grumpy and old. Like, stop talking. 
Too much. Yeah, that was a little bit of stunt casting that didn't work for me. It was interesting. I was speaking... Well, because he can't play anything without being like, hey, it's me, Billy Connolly, in my ridiculous accent. Like, <laughs> A Facebook friend of mine in Australia was saying how when he saw the film, the audience just went nuts for Billy Connolly. That it was just this... That that over there, it, it worked as a, a bit of stunt casting. Here in the States, I think a lot of people don't know who Billy Connolly is, so they don't care. And the people who do know who Billy Connolly is, maybe he seemed too much like Billy Connolly. Yeah, I was like, oh God, this guy. So it, it, it played differently here, maybe. When the Iron Hills dwarves show up, that is like a big deal in, in, the, in the story, because... Obviously, it would have just been <laughs> the 13 of them fighting everyone yeah, with yeah. You know. that something, it's man. A huge and deal. so it is. It and is. so then when they show up and he's riding like a pig. A big pig. <laughs> a big, he's riding like a big pig, and he's just like, it's me, Billy. I'm not going to try to do the accent. Pig. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but it's, it's me, Billy Connolly, riding a giant pig, Battle sawed pig. off. Like, d- no. <laughs> I like the pig, and I also like Thranduil's moose. Thranduil's moose. I love. I love Thranduil's like moose elk Mm -hmm. thing. I love. I liked. Um. I liked them riding the goats. The mountain goats, like dwarves ride mountain goats. But uh, uh, the the pig didn't do it for me. Because it's like it seems like an awkward thing to ride into battle. Yeah. Yeah. Pigs don't. Their their legs are short and they just kind of lie around all day in the first place. So it's like it doesn't. (laughs) How do you run when you're a pig? It's a battle pig. (laughs) It's a a special breed of pig. Yeah. Can move its legs at the like the speed of light, just yeah. down the side of the mountain. So, um, what you were saying about not feeling like any emotion over the deaths, mm-hmm. I think I felt more emotion over like the death of the moose oh. than oh my god, yes, the, than like Keely's feeling Keely's deaths because yeah. those were just. Overdone. But we also, we got to brace ourselves for those. We didn't get to brace ourselves for the, the death of the moose. Because you never see that coming. <laughs> it's like, like no, a Who moose. does that? It's gone. Unfair. <laughs> Perhaps we'll move on to what the entire movie seemed to be building toward, even though it has nothing to do with the original novel. And that is the climactic confrontation between Thorin and Azog. How did you guys think about that? Not bad. They cut the previous thirty minutes. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I thought that was actually a pretty good fight sequence. There were some good moves in there. I remember. I remember being actually impressed. Like, oh, that's actually a pretty good move. That's that's not too shabby. You see, Thorne realize what he has to do to mm-hmm. kill Azok. Like, you see the moment where he's like, uh, "This is going to happen." Uh, cinematically and like artistically, I really liked that fight scene with the ice mm-hmm. and bouncing on it. Like, that was really cool. I feel like that scene kind of dragged on a bit, but it was a really cool scene. Yeah, so definitely. I can forgive it. Yeah, it was a pretty well-executed uh, action sequence. What I appreciated about the scene, when Bilbo finally uh, arrives... Finally shows up in his own... <laughs> yeah. Uh, I really appreciated that they stayed pretty closely to the original dialogue of the death scene. I still think I like tear up more when I watch the uh, death scene in the animated version, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> But it it stayed pretty close to that, and it and it and it kept some of that real emotional impact. I think Did, I still well, have the songs from the animated version on my iPod, <laughs> and I know all the words. So I can sing every word for all the songs. Did you feel the the sort of emotional satisfaction from that final scene between Bilbo and Thorin? Did it did it hit you? Eh, I mean, I was pretty much like dead inside at that point. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so I went I went with my friend Sean rather than with my family and she was sobbing <laughs> the entire last half hour. I and- don't usually cry at movies but I was expecting to cry during this and I started tearing up in the middle but it wasn't because it was moving it was because I was like I th- had I like thought to myself Peter Jackson is ruining the last Middle Earth movie to ever be on screen. (laughs) We're never going to have anything like this again because of him. And then I was just like, oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, I was was noticing... I mean, when we saw the first two films, Elle and I went together to both of them. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. during the films, I could tell that she was loving them. And I was kind of meh for the first two Liking a bit here and there, but during the the goblin sequence, I was looking at my watch, yeah, basically. Like, you know, it's like... It's time this. But I could always sense that Ella was really enjoying herself. You know, and then afterward, when you talk about the films, she mentions, you know, this weak spot or that speak weak spot or whatever. But during the film, she's just in it. She's in the zone. She's digging it. She's in Middle Earth again, loving it. So then we're sitting there watching this one. And as I said at the as I said at the top of our show, I was put off right away by the uh, death of smog scene, and the Battle of Dolgodor did nothing to bring me back into the movie. You know, here's an interesting thing: I've seen a lot of people online not liking this film, but mentioning how much they loved the Battle of Dolgodor and how much they loved uh, Galadriel kicking Sauron out of there. And that scene did nothing for me. You have the little see-through ghosts of the the riders. (laughs) They're swinging stuff around. And, and, And Gandalf, who is supposed to be the driving force behind what's going on, is instead reduced to being the weak prisoner who's being rescued. And so that's a big change, and it didn't work for me. And then really all Galadriel did was like put on her I haven't had my morning cup of coffee face. Yeah. And then Sauron flees. It just it really did nothing for me. But I'm 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 getting off track here. Oh, but but don't we see the origin of the eye at the end of that? Yeah, well, yeah, there's some of the eye worked in there, but it also had like this weird strobing effect that looked like that's something that Peter Jackson would have done as a special effect when he was making a Super 8 film when he was 14 in, <laughs> in New Zealand instead of, it just, it, the effects in there seemed cheap to me, not from a matter of uh, how much they cost, but just showing, showing like the semi-transparent nine and then just doing this sort of like negative effect on Gladriel's face, it just, it didn't seem creative to me, it didn't capture my attention at all, I don't know. But, I digress from the point I was starting to make, just that I was not sensing the love from Ella. <laughs> well, I don't even say for like As 15 I minutes after. I think the only thing I said was like, I'm going to the bathroom. And then I like went to the bathroom, came back out, and we were walking out to the car, and like we were in the car, and it was just, and then I was like, yeah. was that the worst movie you've ever seen? <laughs> Because, yeah, when and you the... were like, well, I'm old, so no, but for you. And I was like, oh, my God. And then I just yelled all the way home. When we saw it, and usually geek audiences are pretty excited. They're pretty forgiving. When the credits roll, there's often a round of applause. 
Immediate, people, immediate, like, yeah. Yeah, people whoop and whistle and, and shout. It was just awkward silence. And then forced clapping. And then, huh. yeah, the, the awkward, like, uh, slow uh. clap. Well, yeah. people, people whoop, it, whoop and whistle in the middle of the movie. Like, people, but nope. Everybody was just sitting there like, is this really happening? It was very quiet, and yeah. And, and I was in there like, it's April, right? It's not just, it's April 1st, right? <laughs> like, we're not... <laughs> And Ella but didn't no. say a word until we got in the car. It was just, yeah, it until was... Until, like, 15 minutes yeah, into the car, yeah. I was... That was painful. The whole experience just turned out to be a disappointment. Like, we're going to make a Hobbit movie. Fantastic! No, we're going to make three movies, and we're going to lard them with a bunch of stuff, and you're not going to care, and you're going to get tired of it, and... Thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Hobbit reboot! Hobbit reboot! <laughs> yes. Well... And here's something, I'm almost loath to bring it up because we're already trashing on the film, but we're going to have to do it some more because I'm going to bring up what for me is perhaps the worst element of the entire film, and which is saying a lot because it's a film that has a number of weak elements. And this is something that is almost never spoken of when I read reviews. And I think it's because everyone blacks it out. No one remembers that this happened. So, what I wrote in my notes here was, Alfred, for the love of the Ainur, why, oh, why? Because the Alfred character, who is meant to be the worm tongue of the Hobbit, and actually I just learned today on the interwebs that his last name is Lickspittle. What? That's what... I feel violated. That's what Peter Jackson (laughs) named him. And it's like, well, could you be more lame in your attempt to make him a mirror image of Wormtongue? Actually, but with a less, like, like, at least Wormtongue is like, oh, like, he's a snake, he he talks and people, like, he's sneaky, but it's, oh, God. I found Alfred to be the most hideous thing. Every scene drains the life out of me whenever he pops up on the screen he you is, can just feel the the like years like yeah he's supposed to be the comedy relief off your life he's supposed to be comedy relief so he's always you know self-centered self-pitying whiny pathetic character and it's like okay you know some people find that funny that's fine i guess but then we're also supposed to believe that even though every time he's given a job he fails at it spectacularly that these people keep giving him jobs. Bard asked him to watch his children. <laughs> after after, after he, an entire yep. elven army snuck up on him while he was on watch. And elves are, I mean, elves are sneaky, but not, but they still, shouldn't be that sneaky. How sneaky is a moose? Sneaky. How yeah, sneaky can a moose be? Exactly. Maybe it was an invisible moose. And... <laughs> But no, yeah, we don't talk about him, and the Tolkien police so, are going to be here, just kicking the door in. So, Alfred, and, and, and when people talk about the movie and say they liked it, and they, but they will mention, oh, but, you know, the scene with the, 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 the ghost, I mean, the, the, the scene with the gold dream or whatever, it's a little long, but, you know, it's a good movie. I never hear anyone say Alfred at all because I think he's just too hideous for ever, anyone to acknowledge. We're all afraid that he's just in our heads, that we just made, made him up on our own. Oh, he's a, my a gosh. What, what did you guys think of Alfred so that I'll, I'll stop my uh, going crazy about him? Once again, trying to shoehorn comedy. I mean, The Hobbit is not a very funny book. 
there are some lighthearted moments. But when you try to shoehorn in one-liners and things like that, you're, you're doomed to failure, Peter Jackson. What you said before about the dwarves being like lighthearted and kind of silly in book, couldn't you just have had more of that in the movie cut out entirely? Oh, man, Alfred. And for the older folks in the audience... He is to The Hobbit as uh, Mickey Rooney is to Breakfast at Tiffany's. Oh, that's cruel. (laughs) That is cruel. Obviously, without the uh, horrible uh, racist uh, aspect of Mickey Rooney's character. um, Oh, Mr. Smog, I kill you, Mr. Smog! (laughs) (laughs) Folks at home, Google Mickey Rooney, Breakfast at Tiffany's, and know that this is one of the whitest guys you'll ever see playing... (laughs) Guy. Playing an Asian guy, yeah. Let's build on that. So do you, that's a great <laughs> simile. Do you find his character offensive in the sense that it's destroying even more of the, the, the credibility and then the, the dramatic structure of these films? Yeah, well... Or is he just stupid? He's stupid. I mean, I, obviously, I'm, you know, he doesn't rise to the level of offensiveness that the Mickey Rooney portrayal has. Um, because of the the racial issue, but as far as forced comedy relief that just kills every scene he's in, <laughs> it sucks the life out of the. the... It's like yeah. every scene he's in, it just ruins the scene. And when Bard says, "Take care of my children," it's like, what? How could Bard put his children? in the care of that guy. It's like you don't use the kid seat in the car. So I mean, it's like, <laughs> it, it's already been established the kind of person Alfred is. And Bard surely knows exactly the kind of person Alfred is. It makes absolutely no sense that the one character would trust the other character. And so that scene is written just in a way because then Alfred can do a bunch of stupid things again that are supposed to be funny. But then in this Bard case, Bard can ride downstairs in a cart to yeah. save his kids. But in this case, part of what you're supposed to be laughing at is, oh, look at Alfred. He's not going to protect the lives of those children at all. <laughs> That's funny. I could rant for as long as the film is about how much I despise the Alfred character. Well, it's like out of any, out of however many kind-hearted lake town citizens there were standing near bard and loyal to him he's like oh and alfred like take my kids to safety like make sure they're not in the middle of the thing i think that old blind beggar woman over there would be better at protecting yeah. that's what that's that's exactly what i was thinking about that's what i'm saying <laughs> did we we haven't spoken at all about radagast should we give a shout out to radagast Bunnies. Everybody loves the bunny sled, yeah. <laughs> I hated the bunny sled. Oh, you hated the bunny sled? <laughs> well, hated over, overstates. Okay. I like the bunny Dude. sled, but I don't see one of the Maiar and Middle Earth driving a sled pulled by large <laughs> rabbits. Well, I mean, actually, it's something that would fit in to the tone of the original novel. Yeah, actually, no, yeah, of, you're right. It's whimsy. Um, but then, strangely, it doesn't fit into the tone of the film version, and then, and yet, that's where it is. So, uh, I Ops. don't know. Okay, the Battle of Far of Armies. Now we've kind of gotten toward the end of the film. 
the final film. We've already made it clear that none of us were particularly impressed with the movie. Kevin, do you have any final thoughts on, uh, on the film? Go watch the animated version instead. <laughs> I really, I really feel like that held more of the sense of wonder and the, the whimsy and, and the fun. That, that's the thing. This movie and the previous two weren't that fun. And that's what I was sort of hoping to feel. I, I actually felt a lot of that in Lord of the Rings, even though it was, a, it was a more serious trilogy with heavier stuff going on. I felt I had more fun in those films. Definitely. The, you rarely felt that things were getting stretched. You know, there was so much more material for him to work with. I mean, and there's, I mean, there was still stuff that had to be cut out to make three, four-hour movies, uh, if you're looking at the extended editions. And so it just felt so rich. But then in the Hobbit films, when it's being padded up, there are scenes that just go on for so long. And But then, of course, you wonder why, like, for instance the Bjorn scene is so short. Why couldn't you have done a more complete telling of the Bjorn scenes and cut out some of the other silly stuff? Of course, maybe there is some of that in the extended versions, which we we'll will have see. to watch yep. at some point. But I'm concerned about a full half an hour additional footage. But maybe there'll be scenes in there that are better than some of the scenes that made the cut. Yeah, well, and... and we can only hope. If that half an hour is made up of more non-battle scenes then it could help that balance a little bit in the overall movie, that it won't be so much battle, but, but who knows. Elizabeth, did you have any final thoughts on the Battle of Five Armies and how it wrapped up the three movies? I'm wondering if it would hold up better if it were shown in a marathon with the first two movies and then their movie all in a row. That's what I was thinking. I said that actually about the, the death of Smog. Like, if you had just watched that scene and Bilbo had just said, like, what have we done, mm -hmm. that scene would have been a lot more poignant. That's an interesting idea, that the length gets in the way, but if you watch them together, it really might f flow better because you get the balance of the various plot points. Someday we'll have to watch the extended versions, and not all in a row, but over the course of a few days, and it'll be interesting to see what he adds and how it comes together so, Ella, did you have any final thoughts? No, I just hope that the Tolkien estate isn't too wounded to not let HBO have the rights to the Silmarillion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, well, and have you guys noticed there's Scuttlebutt online? And this is just all fanish, no actual reportage going in here. There's no... Truth. But people are wondering if Peter is going to try to make some more Middle-Earth movies. Please, No. Because there are various things that are uh, talked about in the same uh, background material that he drew on to pad out The Hobbit. There's stuff there that he could draw on to make other movies in Middle-earth that are kind of vaguely set between The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. And I think it would be a disaster, and I don't think that he's... I don't know that he's said anything to even imply that he's thinking that, but some people are thinking about how, you know, he's got the rights to The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. He's not going to get the rights to anything else from the Tolkien estate. But if he wanted to milk Middle-earth for some more, <laughs> he could legally you know, manufacture more stuff out of the, the uh, appendices of The Lord of the Rings. And I think after seeing the way he executed that 
in these films, I think it would just be a disaster, and I hope he doesn't do it. But if Peter Jackson passed the reins on to someone else, and the Tolkien estate was pleased with that, <laughs> would you guys be interested in seeing more movies in Middle-earth, or would you be interested more in just seeing remakes, like a new version of The Hobbit from someone else? I'd love to see a different version of The Hobbit that just stuck to the story. Yeah. We're also, so what you're talking about is, I think we'd be hitting sort of a level of uh, legalized fan fiction. It's like- <laughs> Definitely. We've both written, Scott and I have both written for the Star Trek universe. It's, it's like that. It's, okay, here are the setups, here are the characters. You guys make up your own stories that we can sort of shoehorn in between this episode and that episode from Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. And it would depend entirely on who's writing it and who's directing it and all that. I'm hoping that when I'm a grandfather, I'll be able to see a, a good <laughs> version of The Hobbit. You know, the thing, I've, the thing I've been hoping for all of my life. I remember when I was nine or ten. I loved the animated version. I was, when they made the live action, I couldn't wait. I was massively disappointed. Please, Lord, don't take me before I see a good version <laughs> of The Hobbit. I've always had this daydream that I want to write and produce which, of course, obviously will never happen. But my daydream is that I want to write and produce a television series that's called Tolkien's Middle Earth, and you just you can adapt anything from the Middle Earth milieu. You could do whatever it would take to do The Hobbit and, you know, several seasons to do The Lord of the Rings, and then you could just do, you know, a little mini-series or whatever. You could just pick... You know, little stories from the Silmarillion or Unfinished Tales, little vignettes, anything. And now it's gotten to the point where I think in doing this, what you'd really want to do is probably just full CGI. And, oh, it, it would just be amazing to see all that stuff brought to life. The thing is, is that you could just do as many episodes as you need to do a nice adaptation. There you go. Appropriate size, appropriate length for the appropriate. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you could really do The Lord of the Rings that has Tom Bombadil. <laughs> and you could do The Lord of the Rings yes. that has The Scouring of the Shire. Yeah. And you, you would just do the whole thing. Although, you know, one of the great things that Peter did do with The Lord of the Rings is the fact that he did have the theatrical versions and the extended versions because he made the compromise to make the films short enough that he could realistically get theaters to play them. <laughs> but then he was still able to give those longer versions that uh, really are better. For The Lord of the Rings, the longer versions are better because there are some pretty key scenes that he cut to get the theatrical length. Um, I would be surprised if I would find the extended versions of any of the Hobbit movies to be better than the theatrical versions because they're too long already. <laughs> yeah, I think they might have some good scenes, though. And this is why I'm looking forward to... I mentioned previously that uh, fan edit. I'm looking forward to, once all the extended editions are out, for someone to make another fan edit mm -hmm. so that they can pick and choose from everything that's available... Ooh, ooh, what if you integrated the live-action stuff with the animated stuff? <laughs> Death scene from the animated film. Keep all the songs. Oh. 
Is there anything I've missed? Is there anything that we haven't talked about? I think earlier I was going to say that we we could see where Peter Jackson's priorities were when he changed the title from there and back again to the Battle of Five Armies. I, re- I remember how upset you were when that news was announced. Yeah. And <laughs> little did I realize how how uh, right you were. Right then. That was a That's tip. That's when I knew. <laughs> that it was going to go south. All right, Kevin and Elizabeth, it was great to have you back on the show. Unfortunately for us, it was under the depressing circumstances of <laughs> discussing this film. Yeah. <laughs> but we I hope you guys had fun anyway. Positive. Yeah, we had, yeah. We, maybe we can review a positive film. When something good comes out, we can <laughs> come back just to cleanse our palates from, from all of this. It was fun talking with you guys. That's all the time we have for this episode. Tune in next month for episode 30, Gaslight Geeks. We'll be talking with author Carrie Patel about her steampunkish first novel, The Buried Life, and other geeky things that she does. Remember that Generations Geek, like Kevin Lauderdale's It Has Come to My Attention, is a part of the Chronic Rift Network, which broadcasts from a rebuilt Erebor. Please give their other fine podcasts a listen at chronicrift.com. Thanks for listening, and come come back back next time. No geeks were harmed in the making of this podcast. Ooh, shiny.